Welcome to Mountain State of Mind, the Charleston Gazette Mail podcast. I'm Douglas Brodno, your host, and today we're talking with Michael Tierney and Dr. Luke Eric Lassiter about their West Virginia activist archive. This has become an exciting place for people to come to work on social change. We start with Michael Tierney, himself an activist for nearly 40 years with the regional nonprofit Step by Step and other efforts. Eric Lassiter is head of the Marshall University Graduate Humanities Program, and the duo are co-teaching an oral history seminar on activists young and old in West Virginia, with panels open to the public featuring their stories. I think the common ground has been people who simply have this as a sense of something they're going to do their entire lives. It may or may not tie in with what they're paid to do. There's an arc of being involved with certain strands of change that has transcended whatever decade they're living in and whatever particular thing they're getting paid for at the time. But this year we thought it would be rich to have people who've been involved with some similar work, although not necessarily the same work in campaigns. And we organized this graduate seminar around the panels, which we're co-teaching in the Graduate Humanities Program. And what was the bar for entrance? What are your parameters for who qualifies? Well, initially I called it the Old Fart Activist Club which is people have been doing this for a long time. But in the last couple of years, the dialogue has been really rich, and we've invited some 20-somethings, 30-somethings, but also some 20-somethings, who you already have the sense that the range of work that they're doing is not defined by what their jobs are. And it's very rich to watch the conversations back and forth between people who've been doing it for 30 or 40 years and people who are striking out on that path. I'd say the other piece with that is this is just the most exciting time I've experienced in West Virginia. I came here as a 20-year-old volunteer after the big April 77 flood and was in Williamson and have seen a lot of movements and a lot of eras, and I've never seen a more exciting climate for people working for social change than what we have in the state right now. I've been fairly depressed, frankly, about the, I'm in my late 50s, that there's not been a great backbench in either political offices or change agents in people sort of of my generation, 50s, 40s. But boy, the 20s and 30s-something are just working hard and making connections. This has become an exciting place for people to come to work on social change and for people to return. It's not automatically assumed that when you get done with college that you better go someplace else to find interesting, (coughs) passionate work. I think West Virginia is both drawing its children home and it's also drawing people from across the country. And the beginning of that was environmental activism, but the children and family advocacy movement, the local foods, people getting excited about alternative community economic development. It's just a real, real rich terrain right now. So this year, most of our panels have got people who have been doing this for a long time and people that are relatively newer to their fields. That runs counter to the narrative that we hear all the time about West Virginia, the brain drain and people <clears throat> leaving and we have politics as usual. And Where does your hopefulness come from then? I was going to ask the same question. People are not hanging out with the right people. The people who are actually in elective office I don't think is a terribly thrilling group of people and I think political campaigns are as tired and cynical in this state as any other country. So the hope is not spread to the actual partisan electoral process for the most part. Uh, You know, Our Children, Our Future, which is a statewide campaign, and the range of people involved with that is 18-year-olds that were volunteering as high school activists that are running for public office right now. And if you look at a lot of what I think of as the more creative regional organizations, groups like the West Virginia Community Development Hub, Healthy Kids and Healthy Families, 
there, it's a nice mix. I mean, there's people who have more than a little bit of gray, like some of us. But you go to a meeting, and the 20-somethings and 30-somethings are incredibly dynamic. So it may not be what gets covered in the papers, and it certainly is not what is yet showing up at the ballot. But people are working very, very hard to envision a great future for West Virginia and do not seem discouraged by, you know, what's a pretty depressing legislative process. So much of the change they're building is people making changes in each other's lives regardless of who's in political office. But I can't help but that's a real training ground that 10 years from now we might have a much more exciting process at that level too. And I think a lot of a lot of the folks that, that I've met, both young and old, they want community and they want to make change in their communities. And that, I think that's a human impulse. I'm an anthropologist, and you see that everywhere. People want to make change in their lives if they're given the opportunity. For a lot of people, the sort of well-known processes of politics shut people out, shut out most normal people. (laughs) People invest in things that they know that there's going to be a return on. And I think people invest in their communities because they see the return immediately. But I think a lot of people are very discouraged about political processes, not just activists or change agents, but everybody is, because there's not a whole lot of return in that process. Part of the point of this, I think, are people telling stories of success and failures as well, but I think people keep going. That's one of my interests in this, is why, what keeps people motivated, and keep, like Michael, what keeps you going? And what seems to be the answer again and again is people see actual change. It may be small and localized, but I would say that's just as important as any other kind of change. Do you agree with that? or do you I, think I agree, and I think that, I mean, people don't come to West Virginia or stay in West Virginia because they're greedy, at least the people at the social movement level. You know, we didn't ever have a bubble. You know, we didn't have a collapse in 2009. We've had that's had a horrible impact on our economy as well. But there was never a housing bubble. There was never this kind of conspicuous consumption bubble that the rest of the country went through. And that's, you know, the same way they were back to the land people in the 70s. And, you know, there's been a long tradition of people who want to live a less greedy and more basic life, being drawn to West Virginia or wanting to stay in West Virginia if they can. I think somehow that couples with I don't think any 20-something can really guess what their work's going to be 20 years from now. So West Virginia's been always a, a, you know, there's always been a great, substantial underground economy. (laughs) And there's always been a lot of the more substantial change happens informally and not necessarily in partisan politics or political structures. But I think that really fits with There aren't a lot of paths for people who are energetic and ambitious in their energies about what they want to do and the kind of meaning they want to make in their lives. And somehow West Virginia's traditions of looking beyond what you're paid for your identity and the fact that this is a very uncertain economic future across the board, I think that actually comes together rather nicely. If there's not a clear career path of what you're going to build and do the next 30 years like your father or your mother might have done, well, you might as well be about social change. And, you know, if you really want a sense of joy in your life, hang out with people who are trying to make a difference. Hanging out in a social movement is much more exciting than a lot of the alternatives. So I think that natural inclination 
to try and find a community of people that you can connect with. There's, you know, there's never any shortage of issues to work on in West Virginia. It's just, this seems to be a real flowering. And there, were, there was some exciting stuff that went on here in the 70s and 80s as well, but there was kind of a grim period too. And I think a lot of people are thinking that there's a path here, but it's a path they're going to create themselves. I think this is a really great place to have it hard to imagine how you could wake up in the morning without any sense of something to do today that could be meaningful. We just have a cluster of people in their 20s and 30s that are also in turn revitalizing a bunch of us in our 40s, 50s, and 60s. Give me a sample of some of the people you pick for these panels that represent this kind of work. Well, um, at the... Uh, the elder statesman level, uh, people like Jim Lewis, who certainly has had no shortage of people asking him to tell a story, but has, um, has been plugging away um, at social change since he got back from uh, Southeast Asia in the early 60s and peace movement and civil rights and labor rights. Uh, we've got uh, Christine Weiss Doherty, who is now kind of in a full circle of her life. She came to West Virginia with her late husband, Bob Weiss, and they founded Great Oak Farm. She was a potter, and they got involved with women and economic development, founded Women in Employment, became an international specialist um, and across the country, working with Ms. Foundation, uh, working with third world, small loan kinds of things. And now she's back in, in West Virginia and has returned to her pottery roots, but is still kind of a real sage that a bunch of us go to to talk with about different things. On the younger end of things, I've got a batch of people coming in talking about children and family advocacy, including Stephen Smith, who's the executive director of Healthy Kids and Families Coalition, but also uh, a young woman named Takaya Smith, who is one of the student leaders at West Virginia State University and is looking at issues uh, like the discrepancies and arrest records of African-American juveniles. Uh, at the same time, she's working with students to create a safe place for LGBT students on campus. Who are some of the other folks that we've got coming in? Angie Rosser. West yeah. Virginia Rivers Coalition. She's been on a couple of panels before. She, of course, has been doing a lot of stuff concerning uh, water water issues. I think part of with this particular seminar, we're also expanding, looking at a lot of different areas, thinking about activism very broadly and change agents very broadly. Bob Mislowski, who is an archaeologist who spent a lot of time working on uh, cultural and historic preservation in the state. That's done a lot of great things uh, with that. We've got John David with Southern Appalachian Labor yeah. School has been at the <coughs> forefront of labor struggles and economic development since the 1970s. And then in the same panel, uh, Brandon Dennison, who's uh, director of the Coalfield Development Corporation, who I don't think is broken out of his 20s yet and is doing <laughs> the most exciting work that I've seen around combining jobs training and people getting further education. And that came from him being part, as he shared in a panel last spring, being part of volunteer work, probably home repairs, and looking around and saying it was good that groups of students would go and help people fix up their houses, but how much better if those people learned to fix up their houses themselves. And what they really needed was jobs. They did need safe homes and they needed jobs, but how to work with people to have that capacity to have a good economic life and a safe home themselves. And that's at the absolute core. Um, you know, he's got a way that people get that kind of training and get an associate's degree and transform people's lives and their community work at the same time. And it doesn't get better than that. I do think it's important to say that these panels are not necessarily representative. You know, they're sort of, they're clusters of people that we know and have different connections with and we've asked to 
just come in and talk about, say, cultural preservation or, or environmental issues or whatever, and they're certainly just uh, sort of the tip of the iceberg in many ways. I mean, there, there are a lot of core individuals, but also they're certainly not the only individuals. I'd say if there's a common ground, which is not uncommon with activists, is they've all been involved with multiple issues. Uh, I think there's a generosity of spirit and a curiosity at what other people are doing. So I don't think any of them are, this is the issue and it's the only important yeah, issue yeah. to work on and you're a jerk if you're not working on my issue. But there's a, a real generosity of spirit and enthusiasm of learning back and forth. And, you know, that they've gotten their ideas and their energy when something's tough with their particular cause, being connected with other people working on change is, is real life-giving. That's in the panels we've done in the past, that's been one of the most moving things is just how refreshing and enriching it is for people to hear across their movements. And sometimes it's a cross-generational thing, but sometimes somebody who has been uh, working on housing issues for 30 years will talk with somebody who's been working on parent rights and or disability rights. And, uh, you know, they definitely recognize each other as kindred spirits, whether they've been in the exact same, same trenches or not. Good. Anything else I've missed that you want to share about this? Yeah, I, I do want to talk a little bit about this sort of the different levels of this because this is connected to a lot <laughs> of other things because I direct the Graduate Humanities Program. I'm very interested in uh, university community partnerships and how can uh, university units like mine and organizations like Michael's work together to research together, work together to, to understand phenomenon, but also to work together to create change, positive change in our communities. We have a lot of different partnerships. But this is one of our stronger partnerships, and that's very important to me, but I'm also interested in terms of well, how does that help to shape curriculum in the university? It's a reciprocal process, hence why Michael and I are teaching this seminar together. I've actually been thinking about this for many years and writing about it in various contexts. How do these kinds of partnerships shift, shift teaching? How does it shift research to make the university a more relevant and applicable force locally? Because I'm very interested in local, local issues. This is connected to a larger group of international scholars and community partners in North and South America that Michael and I are a part of, and that we've met at Georgetown University, and we're getting ready to meet in New Orleans. So there's different uh, different levels of, of this work. There are the panels, but then they're associated with this partnership, which in turn is associated with this larger group of scholars and community activists who are together thinking about well, how does this, how can this change our communities and our universities for the better? And I'd say the other thing is we're very much experimenting about how to get these stories out in the yeah. same way that when you develop an organizing campaign and you try and figure out every which way you can to reach people, we recognize that having no longer tapes, having digital files uh, sitting in storage someplace or printed out transcripts is not enough. It's good because it'll be there for historians and history will not just be who made the legislative reports. But we're taping them. Who knows if podcasts might get uh, edited out of them. The culminating event of this particular course is going to be a poster exhibit. And if you think of the iconic poster of Mother Jones with the Pray for the Dead, Fight for the Like Hell for the Living quote, 
We simply want to produce a series of posters that will have iconic images of particular movements, in some cases particular individuals, and a phrase that sort of captures the essence of their work that we hope will inspire people, but at least might pique curiosity that they might go further. We may develop you know, something where there's a simple page on a, a website that's West Virginia activist so people can at least go and find a page-long description and uh, maybe links to other articles or other materials, but that it comes down to still people sharing their stories. I think I've had over a thousand college students sleep on my floor or our next-door neighbor's floor coming through for spring break since 1991 and know that that kind of volunteer experience is very vital And I wanted people to see that people actually make a life of this and that if you if you do make a life of this or make connections with people like this, you can develop your own sense of home that you carry with you. For me, my spring break, my freshman year of college, I went to the Catholic Worker House in New York where Dorothy Day was living and they had a soup kitchen and they had a newspaper that came out of it. And I got involved with protesting capital punishment on Good Friday at St. Patrick's Cathedral, which was all very heady. But the core of it was people sitting around the tables after we'd served soup that morning and just sharing stories. And I know for me, at the rather tender of age 18, I have always had a sense that I would never be stuck finding a way of living that would be meaningful. Because I had these examples of people who were in their 70s down through their 20s. And I think people connecting these kind of stories with each other and listening across those generations. I definitely had the sense of, as a late teen and 20-something, that it was encouraging to my activist elders that I kind of wanted to sit at their feet and learn um, learn from them. And, you know, conversely, I got to hear their stories and learn a way of life. Which I think raises the issue of relationships that I think are really the stories are important, but I also think the relationships that are built, being built between uh, different activists and the panels and between young and old, and I think that's a really important aspect of this, too. Great. Thank you, guys. Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> See a companion article to this podcast in the Sunday, February 7, 2016 edition of the Charleston Gazette Mail at wvgazettemail.com.